Uh, but today we're going to move into Foundations 102. And in case you missed last week or those that may haven't viewed this yet or those that may have not listened to the podcast last week was 101, which we began to talk about a foundation. So as, as we move on, I, I, I want to I try to cover as much ground as we can here this morning. I'm going to move this out of my way because last week I hit the button and we kind of had to start some things over. But uh, this week, well, our opening passage is the same thing as it was last week. Uh, like I said, I try to give you a little bit more notes this week. You can follow along uh, best that you may. Now, I will say this, give room for the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. And, uh, but in Isaiah chapter 33, verses 6 in the NLT, it says that in that day, He will be your sure foundation providing a rich store of salvation wisdom and knowledge the fear of the lord will be your treasure uh, i know that this was our opening passage from last week from part one but there's a but this very verse is a proverb that highlights what these foundations will provide for us in our walk and journey with christ jesus this week we'll look a little bit deeper in what Jesus had to say about a foundation. So in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 37 it reads like this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it will be wise. Like a person who builds his house on a what? Solid on a solid rock. So, so let's just stop for a second. What is a solid rock? If there's a if there's a, a 20 foot round rock that is at the base of the ground, then what is it? What is its potential? What does it become as a service for? Foundation. A foundation. So Jesus said it's likened to those who listen to them. They are wise. He said so in verse 25. He said, though the rain comes in in a in torrents and and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house it won't collapse because it's built on a what it's built on a bedrock you know another another word or another thing is for a solid foundation or we can refer to it as a foundation but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is what it's foolish like a person who builds his house on the sand. When the rains and the waters come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, see, Jesus was, was in Matthew chapter 7. If you've not read it, this was the ending of, of Jesus' sermon on the mount which some is considered to be the greatest sermon that Jesus had ever preached. But I think anything that ever came out of Jesus' mouth was truth. So they were all just as good to me, if we can say it that way. You know, so, so what he brought here was a revelation. Uh, it was, and it was a challenge to many people because it was divine truth. And the divine truth that took place here was that Everything about everything that we're building has to be based off of a solid foundation. So, so this is why we're putting so much emphasis 
that our Christian walk and that our walk with Him is not going to be what it's supposed to be unless everything has been based off of what teachings that Jesus has given us. And that's why we're spending this time, that's why we're spending so much time and putting so much emphasis uh, on these few things here. So, so the simplicity of where we build is based off the longevity of what we build. Some of you need to hear that again. The simplicity of where we build is based off the longevity of what we build. Where we build it takes more precedent of how long it takes us to build it. As we spoke and made emphasis last week about the foundation is the first thing that we must lay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 15, and, and I know I'm coming with a lot of scripture today, but what better way is there to tell you that there's so much truth out of what the Word has to say and not what James or Pastor James has to say. So, so here's what Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, verse 9, he said, For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's builders. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be careful. For no one can lay another foundation other than that, the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on this foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, and straw. But on Judgment Day, fire will reveal what kind of work each person has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. Say a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Say great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. If we can for just a minute, if we take and we build a house, and if we put up wooden walls, and then somebody else builds a house next to us, and they put up concrete walls, center block walls, and then they begin to place the roof on it, and then they put a tin roof on it, and then this person over here that's building a wooden house, just like what we're dwelling in right now, and they put shingles on it, well, when they go up in flames, what's going to happen? One's going to be consumed, but the other one's still going to be standing. So, so here's, what, here's what we need to be building the kingdom of God with. Is, is with these, these things here that, 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 uh, that Paul spoke about. And he called them gold, silver, and jewels instead of wood, hay, and straw. Because wood, hay, and straw become what? When the fire gets hold of them, they become consumed. But, but, but I want you to follow me here because we're going to go somewhere with this uh, by the end of this message. But if you take gold, silver, and jewels, well, what happens when the fire hits them? They just become liquefied. And the impurities that's within inside of them can then be removed. But wood, hay, and straw, once the fire hits them, they're consumed. They're done for. But Paul said that they would be saved there. But barely. Barely. What's barely mean? I, just, just, uh... By the skin of my teeth. We've, we've kind of heard that saying before. I, I barely make it in. I think Peter made a reference before. If the righteous scarcely be saved, then what shall become of the sinners and the ungodly? 
So if the, those that are righteous before God, those that are living in God's standards, if they're barely saved, then what's going to happen to those that are not saved, those that are ungodly? I think we already know what's going to happen there. And on that day, that'll be a sad day for our Lord and Savior because He's going to have to look at His child and He's going to have to say, Dude, I'm sorry. I mean, just putting this in my own words, I'm sorry, dude, you had your opportunity. I sent so many people to you. I gave you so many opportunities, but yet you wanted to do it your way and not my way. See, we see God as being a loving God now, but we got to know that God is just because God has given His Word. He said, heaven and earth will what? Before my Word does. So if He's given us His Word that the righteous are scarcely saved, then what shall happen to the ungodly and the sinners? This is His Word. He can't, he can't renege on His Word. He can't go back on His Word. What He says shall come to pass. I, I'm starting to deviate from my notes for a little bit, but that's all right. I'm just being led by the Spirit of God. So, so, so we will pick up where we left off last week in Hebrews and the writer's concern of why there is, has been no maturity in believers' life. The reason to why they are not teaching others. And in all reality, this is the case for so many believers today. Because Christians lack the understanding of elementary teachings. Again, I mean, just so much simpler just to say they forget the ABCs. They forget the, the one plus one is two. That they're trying to do other things when they've not even caught the basics of things. So remember that nothing can be built unless there is a foundation. And these first three parts of this series is the emphasis of the entirety of the foundation. So to recap briefly and to keep our thoughts fresh about what this lesson is about, let's define again the meaning and the use of a key or keys. A key is something that associates power, authority, foundational, primary, fundamentals, and priority. A key is something that we use to unlock doors, a next level, and fulfill a purpose-driven life. Now every Sunday or through this series, we're going to cover these, the, the, this very topic right here every single Sunday because I want to drive home what the importance of what keys do because each lesson, each part of this series is going to be in reference to what a key does and how a key is reflected in our life. So as we continue this series, let, let's move a little deeper into the fundamentals of our duties and obligations in living in Jesus. Let's continue our reading of Scripture and continue to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And last week we talked about the repentance part and, and turning to God. But, but let's continue on here. So verse 1, it said, Let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again, and again, I like the way the writer has said that, or even in this translation, he said, again and again. That means I, I'm still having to tell you these things again. Let us go on. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. 
Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. And here's where we are today in verse 2, the beginning of verse 2. You don't need further instructions about baptisms and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move to further understanding. So I, I want us to, to understand. I want us to see something right here. What's this word right here? Baptisms. But what's that on the end? It's an S. So when an S is on the end, what does that mean? Is plural is more than one. And so many people will stop and get confused with the baptism of water. But the scripture has so much more to say about just baptism of waters. So a physical baptism will be the first that we'll focus on. Why is that? Because that's what so many people think about. You know, and I'll urge and I'll say this, as, as the warmer weather continues, we'll begin to get our pool together and get it ready. And probably around June, I would like to do a baptism of anybody that would like to be baptized. Or we can go down to the river, we can go to the beach, it don't make me no difference. But I just know that one Sunday at the church, we can do it like right here. So, so we'll begin to take names and, um, and maybe I'll let somebody baptize me too, because it's been a long time since I've been baptized. But it, it's so important because of, of what it symbolizes for us. So, so we're going to talk about a water baptism to start off. And for those that weren't here, kind of want to point out that there was an S on the end of baptism, which means that it's plural. It's more than one. So again, let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 3, verses 3. And, and let's see what the writer, of, uh, the writer in Luke, which was Luke himself, but what, what he was talking about here in verse 3, he said, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. As we can see that John was preaching about how baptism is an outward manifestation of what? What was this outward manifestation that John was saying that you must be baptized to what? It says it right there. It was a manifestation of you being being repent for, repenting of your sins. That that's what baptism symbolizes. A water baptism symbolizes that. That that's why I think it's so important that we should each be baptized. Maybe you want to highlight that. Maybe you want to put a star next to that verse in your handout. But to help better understand what he means here, let's look at what the Greek word for baptism is and what it means. Baptism or baptis, the Greek word for that is baptizo, which means to dip, emerge, I'm sorry, immerse, submerge for a religious purpose, to overwhelm, to saturate, to baptize. So, so, so to baptize is just kind of, it's an essence of, it's a covering of something. It's covering, it's a washing, 
And it's a dipping and it's an immersing. You know, as we, we saw in the movie last night, Jesus Revolution, they were baptizing hundreds of people a week. They were having a service every single night. They have moved beyond the four walls and had placed a tent up and had filled it on the first night and it remained to stay full all the time. See, because people, they, they came seeking God, you know, and the whole just of that movie last night is really the just of where so many people are today is, is the reality is that we're, we're looking for something but we're looking for it in the wrong place. We're really looking for Jesus, but we're looking for it in drunkenness. We're looking for it in pornography. We're looking for it in sexual addictions. We're looking for it in drugs. We're looking for it in other places. But the reality is that our spirit man is crying out and it's just wanting to be in tune with God. You see, you ever notice how somebody that, that, that may they, they may start with just smoking pot and then eventually they want something a little bit stronger and then they may move on to pills or they may move on to cocaine and then eventually they begin to try to move on to something that's a little harder because they're trying to get a fix but the reality is, is as soon as they begin to come down what are they doing? They're trying to do it again just so that they can get back to where they think that that reality is for them. But every bit of that can be found in Jesus. He, he is the high that we, are, that we are actually seeking in our life. And again, I've deviated a little bit from our notes. But, but, but to understand this word, we will bring some clarity of the why and how we are to be part and to practice of this vital part of the foundation. Uh, the very importance of this type of baptism is still placed in emphasis on repentance of sin. To be baptized in a, is an outward manifestation of washing away our sins and our sinful nature. It is a conscious decision to cleanse, one's, to cleanse oneself. When we go wash, after we've been outside working all day, after we've been tromping through the mud, after we've been messing with material on the back of the truck, or uh, maybe we've just kind of been in, in, in a nasty environment, but what do we usually do? I didn't say all the time. I said, what do we usually do is we take a shower. We wash. We begin to cleanse ourselves. When we've had a bad day or things have been stressful, you know, so oftentimes people say, man, if I could just get a hot shower. I would feel rejuvenated. It would be the comfort that it would make you feel. Okay, so, so there's something important about the water touching your body, the way it makes you feel. You know, so as we read on down into Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says, Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not, since we have died to sin we can continue to live in it. How can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, you joined Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live in newness of life. So this is a baptism of death or a baptism with Jesus Christ. So now we are moved on 
past a water baptism and now we're talking about being baptized unto death. Again, the word baptism was plural. So that means that there was more than one. So as we place these emphasis on what, uh, what Paul said here in the book of Romans, um, it is a baptism that is dying to sin. We have not only put to death our sinful deeds and natures, but submerged this lifestyle. We have submerged it. Submerged again was the, the definition that related to that was baptizo. And baptizo means to be baptized. So we have put the old man in the ground. A forsakening of a life that we want to live. This representation of death is putting to death the old man. So let's find out what Jesus had to say about baptisms. Follow me over to John chapter 3 verses 5 through 12. Here's what Jesus had to say about baptisms. Now here Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, which was a religious leader. So, so you, I think you, you might have a fill in the blank here. And it said, Jesus answered, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and spirit. Born of water and spirit. When I know the pens are done right and we'll continue to read. I speak an eternal truth unless you are born of water and spirit. You will never. What does never mean? It's not going to happen. It's not possible, right? It just is not going to take place. So we already see Jesus beginning to place an emphasis on something here. You will never enter God's kingdom realm, for the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to spiritual life. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement, you must be born from above. For the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear it sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is within the hearts of those who are spirit born. Then Nicodemus replied, But I don't understand. What do you mean? How does this happen? Jesus answered Nicodemus, Aren't you the respectful teacher in Israel, and yet you don't understand this revelation? I speak eternal truths about things I know, things I've seen and experienced, and still you don't accept what I've revealed. If you don't understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, you will not do what you will not do it when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm. So this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus sets the stage for what must take place. Jesus spoke first of being born of water. And here's what that clearly means. Here's, that, here's what that clearly means. Is that you must be cleansed by His Word. You must be cleansed by His Word. So that is that, that, is that baptism unto Jesus Christ. That is the baptism unto death is to be cleansed by His Word. If you look in your notes, I gave you a couple references on that. Do your homework, look those up this week, maybe write them down. More importantly, put them on the tablets of your heart and hear what the Word has to say about being cleansed by the Word of God. Being cleansed by the Word of God. 
as we move on to the next and final part of baptism and I may be going a little quicker here than I thought I may have been but that's fine but Holy Spirit we, we want you to work here we want you to do what you want to do so as we move on to the next and the final part of baptisms I would like to point out the significance of this baptism so turn with me to Acts chapter 19 and we'll be reading verses 2 through 6. And he said, here's what Paul spoke. Here's what Paul had spoke to, to some believers that he had encountered in his travels. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Isn't that something? I think that's some of the church in which they were living in today. But see, the Holy Spirit had just been introduced at this time and not too many people were acquainted with the Holy Spirit. But, but let's continue to read on here. Um, uh, then what baptism did you experience? He asked and they replied, the baptism of John. Now let's just stop for a minute. Well, it's, it's reverse four and said, Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. So let's just stop for a second. John's baptism, we get back to this, it was a water baptism. It was a sign, it was a manifestation of our repentance of sin. Do you have to be baptized to get into heaven? No, all you got to do is believe and believe and follow to get into heaven, but you don't have to be baptized. Is it important? Yeah, it, it, it's a sign, not just for yourself, but others to say, hey, this is my witness. This is my witness that I am repenting of my sins. And again, we, we, we spoke about repentance last week. Can anybody quote my definition of what repentance is or maybe just quote a definition of repentance. Change of heart. It's change of heart. That's manifested by the way we live. Repentance isn't just a I'm sorry and then I'm gonna do it again. We just read in Romans chapter six. It says, "Shall we sin so that grace may abound?" Or simply put this way, "Shall we sin just because we can be forgiven?" And he said, God forbid, or certainly not, with an exclamation point on the end. So should I cheat on my spouse just because I know her heart will forgive me? Why not? If, 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 if I repented, let's just say I cheated on my wife and I was remorseful and I said, baby, I'm sorry. I love you and I did not mean to hurt your heart. We reconcile I go out next week and I do it again. And then my wife finds out again. And then she looks at me. Did, did we not reconcile? Did you not repent? Did you not ask me for forgiveness? Yeah, I did. I love you still. And I'm willing to forgive you. But I need you to walk this out. Oh, I'm not going to ask you to forgive me again. I've done asked you one time. 
How long do you think we're going to stay married? Not too long. Because what? My actions, there was not a manifestation through my actions, right? So when we ask the Lord to forgive us, then that means we're walking it out. We're walking it out, and that's, what, and that's the example that, I, that I'm trying to give you through a marriage because some of us understand that, but that's just a simplicity of thinking. That's just a simple thought process that because I've asked her to forgive me one time doesn't mean that she'll always forgive me in that. It becomes, how do I walk that out? So repentance is a change of heart that's manifested by the way that we live. So he referred to the, this baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism is called for repentance for sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of who? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. So this type of uh, baptism is beyond the baptism of repentance. It's, it's, it represents a what a newness of life. As we read in Romans ch uh, chapter 6, verse 4, it says that we have died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live what? We live new lives. But what? Did I get a little ahead of myself here? No, I didn't. Please excuse me. So, so if, if Christ was dead and he was raised to newness of life, what raised him from the dead? Well, to find that out, let's go over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And he has shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Christ Jesus our Lord. So the, it was, it's the Holy Spirit's power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So as we're talking about this baptism of the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is what brings new life to us. It is the acceptance of Jesus Christ, but it is, the, it is the witness of the Holy Spirit. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that brings us into newness of life. And I like how Paul puts that out there. It is that he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is so important in our daily exercise with our Creator this is the invitation to be the so much more that God wants in our life. Why is this baptism so vital to our maturity? Well, we'll find that over there in Acts chapter 1, verses 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it said, But you will receive power when the who? Holy Spirit. Comes upon you, and you will be my what? Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So, so, so once we have been raised to this newness of life through the Holy Spirit, then, then we, we receive power 
we, we receive his power upon us because now this is the same power and who wants to venture out the Greek word for, for power? Dunamis. Dunamis is where we get the word dynamite from. When you think about dynamite, what does that mean? Kaboom! When dynamite goes off, people will react to that. What was that sound? So when this newness of life has dynamited, when it has taken off, when it has exploded in our life, then it becomes obvious, right? We, we don't have to put a flash inside and say, hey, dynamite over here, dynamite over here. We don't have to do that. This is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit will do. And this is something that we should all be seeking and walking in. And, and at the end of the service, we're, we're going to begin to pray for one another and we're going to begin to seek these type of things because these are the foundations, the fundamental teachings. These are the keys to the kingdom. But what else did he say? He said, once the Holy Spirit's come upon you, once you receive this power, then you'll be what? <laughs> when, when you go to court, you're just kind of using your mind. We've all seen these movies where people have gone to court and maybe we've watched Judge Judy in times past. I know I'm telling a little bit on my age here. But when they call a witness to the stand, what is a witness doing? They are doing what? It starts with a T. Testifying. They are testifying. They are giving, they are a witness to something that happened. So when the Holy Spirit has come upon us, and when the Holy, the Holy Spirit has given us power, we become that witness. And we begin to be that witness to all of the people that are around us. So, so how, how can we, how can we ever abuse God's grace when we know that we're supposed to be witnesses? When we know that we're being baptized by the Holy Spirit? Because he said, we'll be witnesses. So how can we ever live any other different lifestyle? Well, we'll get into that into later parts of this series as well. So I, I, I want to, I like to stress one more part that accompanies this baptism. But to see this, we must turn to Luke chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. This is the part that I've been waiting to get to here today. And maybe that's why I've kind of rushed my message just to kind of get to this. So maybe I could just spend, excuse me, a few more minutes on that. Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John answered these questions by saying, I baptize you with what? with water but someone who is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit now let's stop we just talked about the Holy Spirit right because it's a newness of life he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what what does fire do again it burns, it consumes, it refines. Man, y'all are on top of things today. He is ready to separate the chaff, the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. 
Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barns, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Because the chaff is considered as what? Waste. Useless. It never amounts to anything. It, only, it never really served a purpose because it's not the edible part. So a baptism of fire that accompanies the baptism of the Spirit is a refining process. It is a refining process. And I, I want you to try to imagine these things and, and go along here with me. And if we have to come back and to, to elaborate on some of these, we will. Uh, but we're continuously building the stage here. So in Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, it says, I will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. We are told here that we will be refined like silver and like gold. So oftentimes, not never, but very rarely, very rarely, will you find gold and silver in its purest form. How many of us got a gold necklace on or gold rings? Looks shiny, right? You go, if you go to the jewelry store, they're very valuable, right? Because they want a lot of money for their gold, right? Well, why is that? Because there's a lot of work that goes into making it what it is. Y'all follow me here. It's a process. And so oftentimes we, we miss the process and all we ever look at is a price tag and sometimes we're willing to pay for it and then sometimes we're not willing to pay for it. Sometimes we're looking for a deal, you see, but God doesn't cut no deals when it comes to being everything that He wants you to be. And when gold is found in its form in nature, oftentimes it's mixed with other elements. Copper, zinc, nickel, even sometimes silver is adhered to gold. But when, they, when they're one piece together, it carries a value, but the value could be so much more, right? We agree? If, if you begin to separate those other things from it that are not the main thing that you're looking for. So the main thing that God is looking for us, as we saw in Psalms chapter 51, David said, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Remove from me all of my sins, my unrighteousness, my wickedness. Remove. So to remove from something means you had to do what? It's got to be separated. And this is where the baptism of fire comes in. Because if I take this necklace right here, it's 10 karat gold. How many parts are there in pure gold? Anybody know? 24 parts. So 24 karat gold is pure gold. But the most that they've ever been able to get gold as pure as is 0.9999999. There's always something else that still adheres itself to it that they can't remove. But when we go through God's fire, God can remove all of those things that are not Him. 
So the 10 parts out of this necklace is real gold and then the rest of it is impure. Can you see it by looking at it though? It looks like the real deal, right? Let me give you an example. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord with all my heart. And then here comes this, this nice 27 year old girl walking by in her bikini. But man, don't she look good. What happened here? The reality of what's happened here, the impurities begin to show up in something that he claimed to be. You see, but God has called us to be, that's why I keep saying every week, every week that God has called us to be so much more. So are we content in our walk and our relationship with God? When God's called us to be pure, are we fine with just being 10 carat because we look shiny? You just take a cloth and you begin to polish that thing up. Oh yeah, I went to church on Sunday here. Let me just run that nice cleaning cloth across there. Now I'm all shiny again. See, but the reality is, is that deep within inside, there's things that has adhered itself, which means it has, has, has stuck itself to us that has made us impure. You see, and there's a baptism of fire. And when you begin to take this necklace and you begin to put it in what they call a crucible. You remember the, the, the last three or four days of your military training in basic, you went to a crucible. And it was a breaking. It was a to break you down to see if everything that I've placed in you, will it be consumed or will it remain? And when, when that, the gold or this necklace is placed in a crucible and it's placed in the fire and it becomes melted down, and it becomes liquefied. And the very things that, that is not of God will begin to reveal themselves. And what happens to them? Because they are a different weight of gold, they begin to float to the surface. And they begin to show themselves. And at that point, and only at that point, can those foreign elements, those things that has adhered itself, those that have made this gold, impure only then can they be removed if we don't allow them to be removed and we become hard again then it remains in that same state so you ask me pastor james well how do i become liquefied how do i allow these things to begin to show up in my life uh, i'm so glad you asked that question I'm so glad you asked that question. Because the ugliness of sin and impurities can only be seen when the heat is turned up in our life. So Isaiah said this in Isaiah 48, chapter 10. I skipped one, baby. That's a fine. That's fine. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. Here's what Isaiah had to say. He said, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. But I have tried and chosen you in the furnace of affliction. What's another word for affliction? Anybody? Suffering. Suffering. Boy, you hit the nail on the head here today, buddy. It's like you got some notes in your hand or something. <laughs> He's on point. So, so let's see what Jesus had to say about suffering real fast. Matthew 16, 21, it says this. 
From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would what? Suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leader and priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day that he would rise again. The furnace Jesus faced was the religious leaders. He would be put to death or refined by what he suffered with, but the best part is that he was raised to a newness of life. He was raised to a newness of life. And this is what we have been trying to translate to you from the beginning of this message. A newness of life is the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. But why do you think that Pastor James has become so radical in the past four years? You know, uh, not to call Richie out, but Richie has, has spoken to other people. Uh, we won't know no name, no names, but he'll know what I'm talking about when I say it. Mr. James is not the same James from years ago. He's a different guy. No, no, serious. And, and he's trying to tell him, no, seriously, he's different. But what has made me different? It has been this baptism of fire for me. This refining process for me. Does the fire hurt? Oh, yeah, man, you, you better have Whoever liked to be in fire, who's ever touched fire before? Or let's just say we've ever touched a hot burner or a hot cast iron. We, man, we know a cast iron carry heat for a little while. And when you begin to pick that thing up, you're like, man, that thing's hot. But that heat will separate us from what God has called us to. But if we don't allow Him to remove that anger, that rage, lust, envy, all of these things that the Bible so much talks about, which is just really sin. If we don't allow Him to remove the sin, you see, Malachi said that, that He would remove the what? The dross. Well, what is the dross? It's the very things that has adhered itself to us that is not of that source. It's a foreign element. And that foreign element is sin in our life. How can we move to newness of life when we're still living the old life? Jesus has told us to, that we would be put to death just like He is. And come Resurrection Sunday, I, I so much prefer to call it Resurrection Sunday than the pagan name Easter or Easter. Because that was a pagan goddess. So I call it, and this church will call it a Resurrection Sunday. It's just a day that we set aside. And, and on that Sunday, we'll talk about from death to life. A little more in detail on that Sunday so I'm looking forward to that but as we as we just uh, at the closing here I, 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 you know in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2 he said that you don't need further instructions about baptisms well we've already talked about that well what's the next thing he said here the laying on of hands so as we move on to the next part of this foundation, we will see the writer mention the laying on of hands. And the Greek word for, for this is, I don't know how to say it, epitheus, meaning the laying on, the laying on. This is a symbol or a symbolism of authority. The practice of this authority can be seen throughout the Bible as a ceremonial act. It can be recognized as the following, as you'll see in your list here. Number one, 
it is a representation or a participation. Number two, the laying on of hands symbolizes to renounce or to release blessings. Number three, the commission of people for important services. I'll just stop for a minute. Last April when I had my ordination service, I, I had all the people that were really important in my life and especially those that have been leaders in my life, people that have been my pastors in my life. And the, the Lord had instructed me that I was to gather them together and it was important that they lay their hands on me and that they set me forward. Now God had already ordained me, but the ceremonial, I don't want to say rituals, but the ceremonial act, because the laying on of hands is a transfer. It is a transfer. Again, you know, it's like, it's like this very thing that we're lay, uh, labeling off here, a representation or participation, a renouncing or a releasing of blessing. Number three, the commission of people for important services. Number four, it was the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. And number five, the laying on of hands was for healing. And a lot of this we seem to be missing in the church, especially since COVID has showed himself. Well, well, what is the devil? The devil is trying to interrupt what God has already ordained here. And so since COVID began to, I think my wife told me that next month will be three years that COVID has presented itself in the United <coughs> States. And since then, you know, I've seen some churches have just completely shut down. Some of them are still just online in general. Some of them still don't even gather around at the altar. Some of them are still wearing masks in church because they're so afraid of something that God has given us common sense. But what has the devil done? The devil has showed up in such a way. Now, I want to be very careful that I'm not praising the devil in no way or no form but we recognize his tactics, we recognize his schemes. And the only way that you can counterreact is to know how that he is going to precede you or how he's going to come after you. And the devil has put a halt on people gathering around at the altar. The laying on of hands, you see that the laying on of hands is so important. And it's not something that's being practiced no more. Matter of fact, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a sadness to see that, but the reality here is that the writer of Hebrews said that this was a what? This was a foundation. This is a key to the kingdom. And when, we're, when this isn't placed in practice in our walk and in our lives and in our churches, we're missing something. So how can you build something over that when you're missing what's up underneath it? You see, this becomes the entirety of a foundation, and the entirety of a foundation isn't just the concrete. It's the rebar that goes in it. It's the chemicals that's inside of the, the concrete that causes it to harden. Well, the time, time also has to happen for the concrete to harden, not just the chemicals in it. There's so many uh, chain reactions that must take place for the foundation to be complete. And we are listing some of these off, and I thank you for your patience. I have a few minutes left. So I want to turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 6, one more time, because we're talking about the laying on of hands. And it said, and then, and then when Paul had laid his hands on them, well, what did he do here? He laid his hands on them, and, and laying a hands on was a what it was a representation of bestowing something on someone. 
It was a transfer of authority. It's a transfer of power. And the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. The laying on of hands is to convey or to release an impartation of what you possess. So at, at Salt and Light Ministries, the pastor and the elders and, 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 and the people that, that are under God's authority, we will practice the laying on of hands because it's biblical, it's scripture. And like I said, so many people defer from it because they, you know, a lot of people don't talk about things that they don't understand. But see, I, I'm not afraid to talk about things that I don't understand because God understands everything. And if we seek God and we follow after Him, He'll, He'll convey these various things to you. You know, say so when God touches you, you know, let's just go back to about Jacob a couple weeks ago when we talked about Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel or Israel. Well, when he got touched, well, what happened? He got changed. You see, you see, th th this is all through the whole Bible, but yet these things aren't being practiced. So I, I want to drive the emphasis of this, and I want to talk about, uh, you know, and I gave you a couple of scriptures in your handout to, to talking about this conveying of, of releasing and impartation of what you possess. Acts chapter 8, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Uh, do your homework and do that in your time. So let's look at one more example of this. And my time's getting short here. Acts chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. This was, this was after Christ had died, after Christ had resurrected, after Christ had been with His disciples for so many days, and then Pentecost had happened. So, so after Pentecost had happened, because they said that the Holy Spirit would come upon you, and you shall receive what? You shall receive power, and you will be my witnesses. So this is, this is when this has, had taken place. So in Acts chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it reads like this. It said, Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did this, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. So I want to stop there because I left out, I think I left out verse number 6. And this is when, 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 when Peter and the disciples were walking around and, and they saw the lame man. And I'm sorry that I left that out the handout. I'll try to get that corrected for you. But they were walking the streets and they were on their way to the temple. But they saw the lame man. And the lame man was begging for money. Alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Well, you know, I mean, man, they ain't like they had pockets in their gowns, you know? You know, in their garments that they were wearing, it's not like they had pockets. Hey, man, <laughs> I got some change. Hold on, buddy. Let me give you some. But Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you. So what did he have? He said, I, I have health. I have healing. I have my right mind. And I want to give that to you as well. So, what, so in verse 7 and 8, we saw that he reached out his right hand. He reached out his right hand and he picked him up. This is the representation of the laying on of hands. Silver and gold have I none, but which that I have I give to you. See, he gave it to him by what? By speaking it and by touching him. 
I want us to see the importance of what the laying on of hands is. And I had never read that before. When the Lord instructed me and pointed me to that, I was like, it was, it was dynamite, dude. It was dunamis. It was an explosion that just went off in my spirit. So in closing today, I can only stress the importance of these foundations, but it's up to us individually to use these keys to unlock the Isaiah 33 and 6. And we'll close with this verse. And that day he will be your sure foundation, providing a rich store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord will be your treasure. Let's go to our last slide, baby, two times on that one, please. But he'll be our sure foundation. It's all right. We'll let it roll. He'll be our sure foundation. And unless these things are taking place in our life, then He's not being the foundation that He wants to be. Nothing else can be built upon that unless these fundamentals are being played out. It's important that we have the baptism of water. It's important that we have a baptism unto death as Christ did. It's important that we have a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we have the baptism of fire. Because all of these, all of these point us right back to God's heart. These are the foundations that they must be in our life. Like I said, nothing else can be built upon it until we grasp these things and we put them into play.